0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Our guest today is Ravi Kumar, president of Infosys. Uh, Knowledge at Wharton spoke with him earlier this year about the future of work, and we are continuing the conversation with him today about the digital transformation of education or the future of learning. Ravi, welcome again to Knowledge at Wharton. Thank you,
1: Mukul, for this opportunity, and I'm so delighted to be at your campus today.
0: Well, welcome. We're very, very happy to host you here. So when we we spoke in New York last July, you said that in order to prepare for the future of work, we will have to move to a continuum of lifelong learning. Now, this obviously requires the digital transformation of education in much the same way that other industries are also being transformed so how how is this happening today
1: so mukul you know um, <clears throat> never before has uh, thank you for that question that's a that's a very um, dear topic of mine never before in the um, in the last few decades learning has moved from a straight line to a continuum of lifelong learning and I just discussed about it in my last interview. Uh, and it needs a massive overhaul of the the uh, ecosystem around us. Uh, K twelve schools have to get enabled to create lifelong learners. Um, and once they create lifelong learners, then the learning curve is going to be to learn to learn, learn to unlearn, and learn to relearn. Mm. And that whole process will go on for decades. Mm. And uh, people are living longer. The professional lives are longer. People are doing at least four or five professional jobs, distinctively different professional jobs during the career. Um, and all of that would mean that you need to have learning on a continuum and learning on a continual basis. I so much loved this term which uh, I picked in Watson today morning about. Uh, learning for just in case to learning um, for learning on time. Um, and uh, it's such a big transition. And so, you know, this this is such a good terminology to speak about. Learning just in case is about learning everything you can and you could potentially use it whenever you want. Learning on time, um, just in time, learning just in time is uh, about learning what you need, when you switch to that philosophy, even if you want to, you should be a lifelong learner. If you cannot know, if you do not know how to learn to learn, you cannot switch to the paradigm of learning to a just-in-time paradigm Uh, because then you need to quickly ramp up and Quickly ramp down whenever you want, whenever you have to, and ramp into a new thing. Uh, technology will play a very important role uh, in this journey because no longer classroom teaching for the first twenty years of your life or first twenty-five years of your life is enough. You have to actually take bite-sized, small packets of learning uh, across the spectrum. So I would say relevance, micro, bite-sized learning driving adoptive learning uh, using uh, augmented reality uh, our technologies to make relevance a very important aspect of uh, uh, lifelong learning the three other aspects of lifelong learning because it doesn't come uh, it doesn't come on a straight line it comes on a continuum it has to be done on an ongoing basis convenience mm. making it convenient and affordable uh, we have not actually determined yet who owns, who's the custodian of lifelong learning? Is it the employer or the employee or the ecosystem you live in? So it has to be affordable, convenient, scalable, learning anytime, anywhere. And um, I think convenience will be the second attribute and technology plays a very important role. Relevance, con- you know, relevance is being the first one. Convenience is the second one. Engagement. It has to be gamified and social, Gamification and, and social aspects of learning um, bring the concepts of experiential learning um, in this continuum. And um, I would say technology, digital technologies will play a very important role in that. And finally, um, the impact it can make on personal development and the iterative cycle of analytics around it. So technology will play a very important role in, uh, in lifelong learning, in the continuum of lifelong learning. So you identified a lot of different changes
0: that are being driven by technology. Uh, But when you look at um, the educational ecosystem today, what are some of the biggest disruptions that you see technology creating in this field? And even more importantly, how are education
1: institutions responding to these disruptions? So, you know, in, uh, thanks again. This is a good, nice follow-up. And, um, uh, and I established the fact in my previous answer that technology is an important aspect to transition into a lifelong learning continuum. Um, there are paradigm shifts in, in technology. Um, there is the ability to use virtual technologies to make learning experiential. Uh, I'll give you an example. In manufacturing um i I know about corporations which use um, AR and VR technologies to create virtual learning cycles. Um, I know about firms which use digital twins to simulate lifelong learning. in fact, in the auto, in the in the in the automotive and aerospace industry, Um, you could create digital twins to simulate extreme conditions, extreme boundaries, and create learning opportunities. So embedding these new-age digital technologies, um, I think, is pivotal in on-the-job, lifelong, uh, and continual learning. You know, the second uh, uh, interesting uh, Uh, thing which uh, I want to bring to the notice is the ability to move traditional classrooms into smart classrooms, Mm. Uh, the ability to use collaborative online platforms, uh, leveraging data insights, um, instantaneously providing real-time feedback and, and changing the pace at which you could drive the learning process. You know, I... At this point of time, I I want to give this very interesting um, quote from Nandan, the chairman of Infosys, Uh, and he very nicely puts this saying, educational institutes will become become platforms uh, that distribute the ability to learn and teach instead of teaching always being done in a classroom in a synchronous manner. The professor and educator can be an in-person or the virtual and virtually take care of learners both in a synchronous and in a synchronous mode. Mm-hmm. So technology will bring that asynchronous opportunity mm-hmm. to 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 a classroom environment. Um, you know, online learning has to always be immersive, the ability to bring the physical and the digital digital aspect. I think will drive uh, a lot of le- a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, learning. Now, finally, we haven't spoken about crowdsourced content. Uh, you know, I think with the Khan Academy and what it has done, it has kind of created this momentum around crowdsourcing content and democratizing content. And you are a big proponent of that. Knowledge at Wharton is almost this evangelist for democratization and um, uh, crowdsourcing content. Um, So I would say the next big wave would be crowdsourcing content and democratizing content um, for making learning a pervasive experience.
0: I'm so, so glad that you mentioned Khan Academy because very often when we think about disruption uh, we We have to figure out who are the disruptors, and I was wondering you know uh, uh, do you see any edtech startups that are shaking up the education ecosystem the way for example fintechs are are shaking up the financial services ecosystem
1: moel okay, that 's a great question actually in fact, uh, I have friends in the uh, ed- education tech industry, if you call it new edge um, you know education companies enabled by digital technologies. Uh, Sebastian Thrun is a good friend of mine from um, mm-hmm. Udacity. Uh, I know the Coursera guys. I think all of them have enabled an educational ecosystem of lifelong learning for a, for a paradigm of uh, a B2C market where you directly go to the consumer and provide an opportunity to learn. Uh, and this could be a student, an employee, Uh, A potential employee. But lifelong learning has become such a big responsibility of corporations that um, large universities, new age academic institutions have to pivot from a B2C world to a B2B world. Mm -hmm. And that pivot will be the single biggest shift for universities, academic institutions and new age startups. Even the new age startups are not Um, Gated up for a B2B world where employers and these startups come together to build build future learning pathways. Um, All of these are built for individuals. We have to build for institutions. I think the single biggest gap today for scaling a digital program in a large enterprise is all about uh, reskilling human capital. And reskilling human capital is a joint responsibility of the institution, the employer, and the uh, employee. In fact, governments want to join join that ecosystem. So I would strongly believe that uh, the switch will happen. Uh, and the switch of moving from degrees to skills has already happened in the digital world. And as that switch has happened, the downstream impact is um, the academic institutions have to switch from a B2B paradigm to a B2C paradigm, uh, which means they have to address corporations rather than addressing individuals. Uh, I think that will become a virtue of large 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 universities, uh, small startups. The academic ecosystem will get up for that. That's a very,
0: very interesting observation. Uh, so, sometimes I feel that in focusing on the needs of companies and the focus on large education institutions, one group that sometimes gets overlooked uh, is community colleges. Yep. And community colleges, I know this is an area that's dear to your heart because they attract so many students. Uh, what role do you think community colleges can play in helping to prepare students for the digital economy that is emerging? And at the same time, Can digital technology help to make community colleges more mainstream than they are today? What do you think?
1: Absolutely, Mukul. You know, uh, this is a topic very dear to my heart. I've done a lot of research on this topic. Uh, Worldwide, community colleges is an associate degree program in the U.S. And worldwide, you have associate degree programs. Uh, In the U.S., 38% of the students go to community colleges. is roughly around 8.5 million students go to community colleges. Um, they they come from the unders- majority of them come from the underserved communities because the cost of higher education has just skyrocketed in the last few decades. Um, they're stuck in a vicious negative cycle. Uh, the tech jobs of the past created the digital divide. I think the digital jobs of the future will bridge that divide, and that's my strong belief. Digital, the digital paradigm has created these backbone jobs where you need to do a lot of heavy lifting. And this heavy lifting will, uh, will require um, massive pools of talent, alternate pools of talent. Uh, the ability to create a digital apprentice program um, where you could get this, this talent with the potential, may not necessarily with the degrees, but they can learn, earn, and actually work work for you Similar to what manufacturing companies did f- to create an apprentice model, mm-hmm. many manufacturers in Europe and Asia, Asia have done this. Um, we actually launched a digital apprentice program where you come with a two-year associate degree, land on a backbone digital job, mm-hmm. um, and these backbone digital jobs are security operations, end-use compute, um, infrastructure support. You land there, then you get this chance to do 60 credits online as you work with the employer, you get some credits for the experiential learning you're going through the, going through at, at your workplace, and then you cross the bridge to be an undergrad as you finish um, a couple of years of work. That whole process is not just about giving them an undergrad degree, but also making them a lifelong learner so that they can cope up with the pace at which change is happening in, in the corporate and tech world. So um, we have never had that chance before in the tech world to create an opportunity for community colleges, and I strongly believe this is the time to do so, and we think we have now a operating model to do so.
0: Now, clearly, you, you have emphasized in our conversation the importance of technology. But uh, I was struck recently by a very interesting paradox, which is that if you look at global spending on education, it is projected to grow to about $10 trillion worldwide, all the different sectors combined, uh, by 2030. But if you look at how much of this money is actually spent on technology, it, it's supposed to be less than 3%. Yep. Uh, I wonder, you know, given how you know, central technology is, as, as you've described, what are the reasons why this number is so low and what can be
1: done about that? You know, Mukul, I think uh, you've hit the spot on in terms of the uh, issue about adoption of technology. Um, you know, traditional uh, large academic institutions um, have very little to gain by change because, um, you, know, it's a, you know, the U.S. Is, is the best example. The cost of education is going up. Um, student debt is available. And therefore, there's no incentive for institutions to reduce the cost of education. Um, And it continues to spiral out to a point where it is untenable. I think the biggest roadblock on the process is resistance to change. Mm. There isn't enough education tech uh, momentum to disrupt the traditional university infrastructure. Some universities have been bold enough to catapult into the new age ed- ed- tech, ed- tech sector. Some have done it. I've, I've heard some great things which Wharton is doing on online education and continual learning and lifelong learning, but everybody has not done it. So there is an opportunity for these universities to leap into the future, but uh, the resistance of resistance for change is so high and that's why technology adoption is so low. Um, you know, universities which taught in business schools about cannibalizing yourself have to cannibalize themselves. Um, and I think cannibalizing themselves uh, is a very bold thing. You're going you're to take away what you're good at mm-hmm. and bet into the future. You're going to bet into a B2B world. You're going to bet into uh, micro-sized um, modular content versus, uh, versus content which comes in big packets. Um, uh, and 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 I think it's it's uh, interesting um, how I see this. Uh, in the past, industries moved at changed at slower pace, and therefore they would come to academic institutions to figure out how they can disrupt. I think it, it'll go the other way around. Academic institutions have to proactively reach out to the industry because the industry is disrupting at a rapid pace and their own model will get disrupted because the talent and the human capital needed for those industries is gonna change so rapidly that you have to do that switchover where universities have to go to industries and ask for for a partnership proactively, ask for a disruption proactively and therefore uh, partner accordingly. Um, and so it 's a it 's a switch which industries have to industries have to get the outreach from from academic institutions uh, and if that happens i think um, you you're going to you 're going to create a transformation of sorts within the academic uh, communities i don 't think it is necessary that you need to have ed tech to come and f- disrupt you. Mm-hmm. you could disrupt and be the ed tech for the future
0: it, that 's a very interesting point because if if the shift that you're talking about does happen that you know universities and schools start thinking about a a B2B model rather than B2C yeah. uh they would need to be able to justify this in terms of uh how how do you measure the returns that companies are investing on education so to the degree that you know cost might be one of the things that creates the resistance to change that you were talking about yep. how, how do you how, what advice would you give schools about that want to think about the ROI of education
1: yeah you know I'd say it's a great question actually um, you know as much as we all think um, the, the adoption of tech is capital intensive which it was for many years the adoption of tech rapidly has become very OPEX centric mm-hmm it's 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 become it's rapidly moved to a pay as you go it's rapidly moved to on the tap um it's moved to open source software um i think this is where the future of technology is that the future of technology would be uh, consumption as you go on the cloud open source software um and 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 that is why my strong belief is um Capital cost and return on investment is no longer an issue mm-hmm. the, the switch you, we all have to make for academic institutions to leap into the future is actually their mindset change um, there are um, There are literally a variety of technology interventions you could do now mm-hmm. with um, with absolutely no uh, upfront capital needed to to enable it. Um, with the advent of cloud, with the advent of open source software. And and um, who, who else should adopt this first than academic institutions? In fact, I remember in the last interview, I actually mentioned this. Um, if you have missed a generation, you are well-equipped to take a leap versus being in the generation where you are. Uh, in some sense, academic institutions have... Have kind of missed one or two generations of technology advances. Uh, they could directly leap forward mm-hmm. into the digital age with open source software. In fact, when I meet friends in the uh, in the corporate world, uh, their um, uh, their um, uh, affinity to enterprise software, their affinity to having on-prem workloads. Mm-hmm. Uh, is so much of a legacy that their ability to move those workloads, their ability to move to open source software, is such a big constraint because of the legacy they hold. The fact that academic institutions have kind of not done it for a couple of uh, uh, couple of eras, I think they could leapfrog directly up there. So technology adoption is no longer, to me, an issue as as far as written on investment is concerned. I would actually think the mindset change and the and the bold um the The boldness of actually disrupting your operating model will really drive how well you do this
0: the The, the boldness of disrupting your technology model seems very necessary because all over the world uh, there are, there is a huge demand for making education more affordable and relevant. In fact, it has been projected that more than one billion digital native millennial students will emerge worldwide. Uh, in the next two decades. Now, what Im- impact do you think this increase in demand will have for the future of learning through digital disruption?
1: So that is, um, you know, um, the impact of how learning is used for, for creating professional jobs, how learning is used in the millennial age, uh, universities have, uh, will play a very important role. Um, you know, you know, I, I'm actually going back to my first question on lifelong learning. Uh, Universities geared up for classroom learning, and expected institutions to continue on the on the on the learning curve, and create create mechanisms to do this incremental shifts on learning the you know during the professional life. We are now going to shift to this continuum, which means what you need to know initially. Before you jump into a job, uh, you know, if I go back to the uh, to this analogy of just in case to just in time, uh, you you are you are preparing yourself to be a lifelong learner, and then thereafter you are constantly getting upgraded with advances in in the world and applying yourself to advances in the world which means universities will now have to partner with or corporate organizations mm. and switch over as i as i keep saying from a b2b b2c to a b2b world and when that switch over happens universities which are used to a sage on the stage kind of a model to a guide on the side they have to switch to um, they have to switch from a sage on the stage to a guide on the side, which means on a constant basis, you are actually having somebody to tap onto, to uh, to guide you through. And then because you're a lifelong learner, uh, you are able to pick it up and run. And when it, when it happens that you think you're obsolete, you're able to unlearn and then start relearning. Um, so that whole paradigm puts universities... With puts universities in a in a in a in a in a frame where they not only have to have classroom teaching, but they need to have infrastructure to continue to stay engaged with these alumni or students or employees, as you call them, uh, for the next fifty or sixty years, mm-hmm. and that's a huge shift to how universities will have to look at learning. Uh, and I think um, I think. Uh, um, I think uh, breaking this problem into multiple aspects, I would say, crowdsourcing of content, uh, building online platforms, um, driving, uh, you know, micro-modular packets of uh, education, uh, bringing the physical and the digital world together, all of these will become aspects of uh, covering that value chain.
0: Right uh, how, how can personalized and adaptive learning be combined with predictive analytics to improve the way that students learn and encourage them to become better lifelong learners
1: the analytics engine uh, is um, almost going to make every learner a real time sentient learner yeah. which essentially means they're getting the, there's a feedback loop with data with AI, AI algorithms, which kind of almost feeds you on what is the next set of things you need to actually you know, bring on board. Uh, and that, that makes that whole engine of the learning platform itself very real-time. So I would say um, analytics will, will, will play a very important role because it's no longer about you learning at a point of time and then executing over a period of time. You're learning and executing at the same time, which means you will have to uh, create a feedback loop, which is, which is um, learning on its own and sharpening, your, uh, sharpening what content comes to you and what is delivered to you. So uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting switch. Uh, where you're not learning at a point of time and then you're executing after a point of time. You're learning and executing at the same time. So the the content you get, the interventions you get, the faculty which needs to come in, um, all of them have to change real time based on what the learner needs. What you call just-in-time learning. What what <laughs> I call just-in-time learning. So I actually picked this today. So <laughs> uh, I realized how um, how deep that is yeah. uh, in terms of uh, the switch. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't go back into my uh, MBA education or into my engineering degree, which I did 20 years ago, and change what I did. But when I am learning and, and, and applying at the same time, I will need a feedback loop to go back to the learning, learning, learning um, uh, process so that it kind of gives me more curated content for the future and it makes learners of the future better than me. So that whole piece is going to change the way learning is done. You know, we've really not tapped into crowdsourcing of content yet. Mm. It is, I think, such a headroom on that. Mm. Uh, I would say that's the next big piece which will, uh, which will uh, come on the way. So, Just to wrap things up, I had a couple of
0: questions about where the education sector is going in the future. I mean, historically, if you look at some of the most elite and prestigious education institutions with the strongest reputations, they've all been based in the developed countries. Now, but as education becomes more global because of the digital uh, transformation, do you believe that schools from emerging markets are going to catch up and is this happening today, and if so, where?
1: So, so that's a great question. Actually, a good segue into uh, how technology is going to be a leveler yeah. in, in in the learning process. The world is flat. You mean? And the, you know, it's 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 going to it's going to it's going to just give, democratize everything around you. Uh, access to information, uh, arbitrage of information, arbitrage of knowledge is all gone away. It's gone. I, you know, I'm I'm so glad that you you guys picked the uh the digital channel uh to to feed content and feed uh, thought leadership way ahead of uh, uh, I would say even before the digital wave kicked in. So um it's uh, it's uh, reflective of how deeply you're thinking about the future. Now, I also believe if you want to get uh, a a very inclusive learning uh, opportunity um, you cannot actually f- feed from students and an ecosystem from the developed world uh, the the uh, the developing nations the emerging nations the underdeveloped nations um, will have to play an important role in how you um, how you breed content how you breed innovation and how you breed um, what needs to be taught in schools, because uh, a lot of what needs to be built for the future, be it products or services, uh, has to be built in context of the bottom of the pyramid, has to be built in context of what the emerging world needs as well, which means uh, if you're not actually building world-class institutions there, uh, I don't think you're going to solve wicked problems of the society, or I don't think you can solve... uh, uh, problems of the society, which uh, which you think uh, are critical, so I think with technology being the leveler, I would f- I would strongly believe um, emerging com- emerging countries will establish world class academic institutions, unlike in the past where academic institutions came from the developed world. And and what we curated in those institutions was was meaningful for the develop, developed world, unless uh, it's a different, it's a different matter that but that institutions in the developed world also attracted talent from the emerging markets but But if you truly believe reverse innovation, you truly believe bottom of the pyramid innovation, I would say uh, it is only apt that you build institutions in that uh, in that ecosystem. So I'm so glad you mentioned the bottom of
0: the pyramid because that brings me to sort of the last question and one that's very dear to my heart. I think the most pressing need for lifelong learning exists at the bottom of the pyramid. And what role do you think technology can play in creating pathways from school to work for some of the world's poorest people?
1: You know, technology will be the biggest, biggest... um Leveler, and it will be the digital technologies will will almost bridge the digital bridge the divide which was created by traditional technologies, and I've mentioned this before. Um, With the advent of startups into the education sector, more innovative solutions, more cost-effective solutions will will almost compel the the larger academic ecosystem to innovate as well. That's what's happening in the corporate world. The corporate world is paranoid about digitally native companies. Universities are still not paranoid about edutech companies yet. And the day that paranoia happens, I think there is going to be a switch and there's going to be either the academic institutions and the universities will collapse or they will transition and they uh, they will move into this new space. They will not worry about cannibalization. They will disrupt on their own, the mindset change will happen. Uh, there are some extremely exciting technologies which, um, uh, which kind of help us to make technology democratized and reaches to the, reach, reach to the poorest of the poor. In fact, even today, a UNICEF report um, speaks about how almost 250 million st- uh, uh, kids don't have access to education no access to education, 250 million kids. Um, so anytime, anywhere, learning options, um, virtual digital assistants, a digital twin that will help access different types of data and serve needs of people in different parts of the world. So you almost create a virtual assistant to teach. Um, access to, um, you know, access to teaching from different parts of the world using technology i'm sure you've heard of um, open wrap kind of uh, kind of protocols this is resource access point protocols um, where um, you can uh, you can actually get to the remotest parts of the world uh, and um, and um, uh, have a server in a different place with you know with with people from the remotest part accessing content um uh, digital twins we spoke about all of these are going to make techn- all of these are going to make education so democratized and once the platform uh, is democratized i'm hoping content will get crowdsourced and democratized as well and if that happens then the whole ecosystem is democratized it's almost a fundamental right for every uh, every human being to access uh, content access learning And it is, you know, the only thing, which which is not which which we cannot, uh, which we cannot actually provide is motivation. You know, motivation is individualistic. Everything else has to be provided by uh, the society they live in.
0: Thank you so much for speaking with Knowledge at Wharton. It's always such a pleasure speaking with you.
1: Thank you, Mukul. This is a great opportunity. Uh, You know, I I saw thoroughly enjoyed uh, my day at uh, Wharton.
0: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.